Hello, hello. Welcome back to Hear Her Sports. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery. We are here again to learn from another great woman. This week, my guest is Ishveen Jolly, founder of an innovative, really interesting, new-ish sports marketing firm called Open Sponsorship. What I love about this conversation is how Ishveen demystifies the process of securing a sponsorship deal, what it costs brands to work with athletes, how smaller deals are possible, and what athletes can expect from a sponsorship deal. She also has uplifting words about sports and why we love this space so much, and also, maybe most importantly, why it continues to be so important for her to support athletes. I hope you enjoy hearing from Ishveen as much as I do, so let's get to it. Ishveen Jolly is an expert in sports marketing. She worked as a sports agent for many years and is now building her company, Open Sponsorship, to lead the sports marketplace by connecting brands and athletes for digital, effective, and data-driven marketing campaigns. Open Sponsorship has 12,000 athletes and clients, such as Walmart, Stitch Fix, and Foot Locker on the platform. They have raised over $5.5 million from a range of big names in sports business, including Serena Williams, 76ers owner David Blitzer, and Eric Stern. Ishveen was included on the Forbes 30 Under 30 sports list and Inc.'s top 100 female CEOs. She is also an athlete herself, starting as a child through college, where she played netball and cricket at Oxford University. Well, welcome, Ishveen. It is wonderful to have you here. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome. Great. So, you know, before we get started sort of diving a little bit more deeply into sports marketing, because I have a lot of questions about athletes and sponsorship and how they work together, I think an introduction to your company would really make sense. You know, like what actually is open sponsorship? And, you know, you talk about it as an Airbnb for sports sponsorship. And I'd like to know what you mean by that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say we are somewhere so obviously everyone's probably familiar with marketplaces whether it's airbnb or uber or even like a linkedin or amazon and we take the best of all of that and apply it to the sponsorship world and so we essentially have four aspects to the website and it's like the one-stop shop for everything sponsorship so sponsorship for us is mostly brand to athlete we do do work with teams and events with their sponsorship strategy but mostly it's connecting as you said like a walmart to a um, nfl player nba player olympian college athlete whatever it may be and so the platform first step is kind of the match so helping the brand find the perfect athlete and we kind of have a lot of functionality similar to a recruitment site where Brands can search through all of our athletes, our roster of 12,000 using data points such as like who's female, who has a male demographic, who lives in Chicago, who has 8% engagement rate. But brands can also put up a job posting, a bit like a, um, we call it a campaign, and the athletes can apply themselves to that. And then the second bit is contracts, negotiations, payments. Third is deal management. Fourth is ROI tracking. So we have a lot of functionality in the platform, but essentially the whole system is designed around helping brands to make it easy to do athlete deals. So when I was researching to talk to you, it seems like this is a really big deal and it's a new method of dealing with sponsorship. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, prior to us, really the only way to get sponsorship deals done was either through your agent or it was kind of cold emailing, um, hoping to run into someone at a trade fair or whatever else. And so bringing technology and accessibility into the industry is very new. So the way that it works, just 
so that I can be clear, is that brands will come to you and you'll basically sign them up via the app or they'll do that themselves. And athletes will have already done that. And as you said, it's just like Airbnb. Yeah, absolutely. Essentially, what we do is try and make it so that the sponsorship is meritocratic. That, you know, if you are a small brand with a very small budget, there's an athlete out there that hopefully loves you, right? Whether it's, you know, we're working with a brand that's looking for pregnant athletes right now, right? And maybe they only have $200 to offer. There is an athlete out there for you. Now, obviously, it's not going to be the biggest athlete, an A-lister, but there is an athlete out there for you and, and vice versa on the, you know, the athlete side. There's probably a brand out there to sponsor you. You may not get a contract from, you know, Toyota or any of the biggest brands, but there's some local business or D2C brand who fits with your vibe. And so for us, it's all about when you give the technology to create connections like a LinkedIn or like a dating app, then for us, it's just about producing that text so that both sides can meet authentically. Right. You know, I... I found this so interesting because when I was, again, when I was researching, what I kept thinking to myself was like, I really don't know that much about sponsorship, but that's part of your whole point, isn't it? That it's not as hard as we all think that it is. Exactly. I joke that like after going for any brand, I'm always like, once they've had a first call with one of our team members, it's like going through kind of Nike one-on-one university because we're essentially teaching you how to think about sponsorship. And I liken this a lot to one of our um, earlier advisors was a guy from HubSpot. And HubSpot, you know, they really essentially taught everyone how to do content marketing. And similar way, I feel like we are teaching people how to do sponsorship. And even for the people who are very familiar with sponsorship, the new age of sponsorship is like digital influencer marketing-esque. And so even for like sponsorship veterans, it's They're like, well, how do I use my athletes on social? And, you know, do I ask them for an IG story or a TikTok video, right? And so I think we're doing a lot in terms of education as well. And how does that work? I mean, it does sound like you have to educate. I mean, not just the athletes, but also the brand on on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. So again, like why I liken there's a lot to recruitment or other marketplaces, we take a lot of lessons from them. And so when a brand signs up to us, we essentially have like campaign templates. And so, you know, we've got like, hey, do you want to run a CSR campaign? This is what it could look like. Do you want to do product seeding? This is what it looks like. Do you want to do affiliate? This is what it looks like. And so we're really trying to, in a scalable way, because obviously we can't talk to every single brand, in a scalable way, can we teach you how to think about different deals? And then on the flip side, to athletes, we you know, we're showing them and saying, look, you don't need to go for just the biggest dollar value. Everyone wants that. But hey, have you done a CSR campaign? Have you done a product seeding campaign? And this is what it looks like. This is why you should do it. It, It's so interesting. I I think that one thing that struck me quite a bit was that you're working with smaller budget sponsorship deals. And I hadn't really realized that they were out there like that. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, it's sponsorship has been around for like decades, right? But influencer marketing has only been around for, gosh, like last 10 years, if that. And it's a, you know, billion dollar industry in itself. And the whole like, kind of ethos of influencer marketing is the micro influencers. You work with people for content, authenticity. It's almost like digital word of mouth. Mm. And so what we're doing is bringing that into our world and saying, you know, 
instead of working with one athlete for $100,000, why not work with, well, I suppose that guy still does it, but like, why not spend $200, $500 per athlete, but work with 20, 30, 100? You know, and we cater to both ends. I mean, you know, we recently did a deal for Venus Williams that was definitely in the six figures, but we also love these smaller scalable partnerships that honestly would never have happened if it wasn't for a platform. So what are the sponsors getting like in a really detailed way, what are they getting when they're doing some of these smaller deals with not the biggest athletes? Yeah, good question. So I'd say a lot of it is around content. So, you know, today everyone needs content for their social feeds, for their website, for their email marketing, um, literally everywhere. And content is expensive, right? Even, even buying a stock image online can cost you a few hundred dollars. So if you can get that same for the same price, you can get a, an athlete to give you that content and, you know, nothing like it. Now, it might be smaller. Like these athletes might have like 5,000, 10,000 followers, but you are getting the distribution to their audience. And often the smaller athletes have really high engagement. And so, again, like kind of why I liken it to word of mouth. So, you know, if you're a, a brand that is relevant to the athlete's follower base, then them putting that out and getting, you know, 20% engagement rate, that's that's really neat. So I'd say content plus distribution to an engaged, small but engaged audience. And then for some people, it's even just like feedback, testimonials for their website. It can be a whole kind of different host of things. So you mentioned that your app also does ROI. So what kind of data are the sponsors looking for? And, you know, like for them, what makes a successful campaign? A lot of it right now is around like engagement and things like that. So if it's a story, um, it's very hard to get that information from anyone because it's not public, but we have it in our platform, the ability for the athlete to upload the story for the brand to see. So I'd say it's a lot of like insights from social. We do connect to Google Analytics and Shopify. So there's a little bit of that as well. I'd say ROI is one of those things that every brand is looking for something different. Obviously, the holy grail for everyone is sales, which is just really hard to show. So I think, you know, there's ways to go on our ROI, but it's a good start. Right. And on the athlete side, can you talk about the kind of athletes that you have signed up? Mostly I'm interested in sort of like what level are they at? Are they pros, collegiate, just sort of regular athletes that are training at home? Yeah, I'd say, I think of our 12,000 athletes, which includes about 70% of the NFL and the NBA, so big number of pros. Right, right. Um, about 30% are female, uh, which sounds low, but it's quite good in the universe where, I mean, NFL is our biggest sport and there's not even a, a league for that. So 30% are female. And then it's about, I think we have about 4,000 college athletes four or 5,000 college athletes. Mostly it is pro, but it, it really varies. I mean, we have like marathon runners and peloton instructors all the way to like USA soccer star. So it there is a huge range. Yeah, I, I noticed that you have a huge range of sports too. I mean, it really covers everything. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of a marketplace is literally anyone can sign up. And the way that the business model works is we don't charge our athletes or agents to sign up and we only charge them a commission when they get a deal. So it's literally like, there's really no downside of signing up and you get as much as you put in. And then on the brand side, we do charge them a membership. 
So that makes sure that the quality of the brand is high and that they're, you know, they're coming on to be serious and actually get a deal done. One of the things that I've heard you talk about and write about also is sort of the transparency of the money, which is super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you think about like, well, why do you use Airbnb and things like that? Well, a lot of it is around the insurance. And so when you're doing a big deal with a LeBron James, of course, like, you know, that the brand's going to pay and there's a lot of legal in there and whatever else. But if you're an athlete and you're like, you know, small athlete, small brand, well, you know, if you're the brand, are you paying the athlete first? Because I don't know if they're going to show up. But if you're the athlete and you're like, well, if I do it and then they don't pay, what am I going to do? And, you know, if it's a $100, $200 deal, I'm not obviously going to get lawyers involved in tribunals. So I think a big part of our website is the insurance of, you know, we hold the money in escrow. Both parties know that the payment's only going to get released one way to the other when the deal's completely done. So they're both protected. Yeah, that's nice. So... Since I started Hear Her Sports in sort of late 2016, between then and now, I've noticed this huge transition from sort of this idea of supporting women's sports and women athletes as some kind of charity or like doing a favor <laughs> for them to actually, you know, now people are realizing it's an investment and maybe a good business decision. You know, what have you seen since starting Open Sponsorship, but even further back when you were an agent? Yeah, I agree that I think until recently for sure it was like oh i should do female athletes like it's the right thing to do <laughs> right yeah um i think the last year maybe has changed that a little bit where you are realizing that okay these are commercial these are real commercial opportunities and i think that's you know in part thanks to being on more major broadcast right so you know in england like the women's league, the women's Premier League being shown more aggressively. Like you walk into a pub and you'll actually see the games on on TV. The news features the results and things like that. So I think the media catching up a little bit. And then potentially also just like huge amount of, um, especially like in America, like the student population. So we start thinking about, okay, how many hundreds of thousands of female athletes you know, become athletes at college level, well, they're following their idols who are volleyball or soccer or whatever else, track and field. So I think that has really helped. And then performance, I think, is huge, right? So as the women do really well in the Olympics and sometimes outperform their male counterparts, like that really helps as well. So I think there has been a bigger trend of saying, okay, I'm going to do female athletes because it's a commercially viable strategy versus charity, but it definitely still has ways to go. Yeah, that's for sure. Do you have trouble sort of convincing your clients to support women's sports and to see it, as we talked about, as a really good investment? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the hardest thing for me, I remember at the beginning, was a lot of the female athletes' followers were skewing male. And so... You know, if you think about an LPGA golfer, she might be female, but her followers skew male. And so then what happens is if I'm a marketer and I'm like, well, I'm targeting this female demographic. Oh, but these athletes are not skewing female. Mm. And so that used to be a big challenge. As I said, I think it's getting better as more. And that, that's up to, you know, all of us to watch, you know. I'm at fault. I do not watch as much women's sport as much as I like should at all. And so I think we have to be watching those sports, following those athletes so that brand marketers, it's a no brainer that, 
you know, instead of using a beauty blogger, use a female athlete Hmm. because it hits the same demographic or at least it hits women. Right. On the podcast, I talk a lot about how all of this is like this intricate web and, you know, you can't just fix one thing because it's like entwined with all this other stuff. And, you know, I want to ask, like, what can female athletes do to make themselves more attractive or, you know, not, I don't mean physically attractive, I mean attractive <laughs> to their sponsorships. But, you know, there's so much else involved. But is there a way to answer that question of of how to make supporting female athletes, investing in female athletes easier and more attractive to the sponsors? Yeah, I would say I think COVID actually really helped with this, which is like post like on social at least, post more about your life, like who you are as a person. I think it really helps for female brands. Let's go back to that example of like, you know, a brand focused on pregnant women or like the baby industry. Now, if you're a female athlete that posts about your family, and we see that a lot in the male universe where, you know, Stephen Curry is always posting about his family, right? And that gets him a lot of brand uplift as well. We saw during All-Star Weekend, we were talking about it with Yanis and his brothers, and then he posted about his mom. And and I think in the past, there has been this idea that like it was almost anti-being an athlete and being a female athlete to talk about your personal life. And it was, you know, am I an athlete or am I, who am I? Whereas like, I think COVID, because sports stopped, I saw a lot of like female athletes on their social feeds, like putting up fun, you know, being more playful with their social, being more honest or being more authentic. And I think that really helps because it connects you to a wider audience and it gives brands an idea of like who you are beyond just what you are on the field. Is there a point when the personal posts become too much? Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, back in the day, there was a, um, this like, don't be too personal and, um, don't let people know what you stand for. But I think today, you know, Nike shows that with their Colin Kaepernick strategy. And, and I think brands, there are some brands who are like, I want, you know, I want to be in the middle. But a lot of what's coming out now, like if you think, you know, I was on a Peloton bike the other day and she was telling us all about like her trip and her mental state and whatever else. And so I think there is just this movement towards be true, be authentic. And brands are leaning into that and so do followers right and so Mm. you get you get more following you get more engagement and that is ultimately fortunately or unfortunately that is a big factor into you getting deals and how much you're paid today we've been talking about sponsorship and you can easily sponsor this very podcast now using buy me a coffee find the link on the donate page at hearhersports.com All coffee support will certainly fuel me while editing, but also help pay for recording and editing apps and equipment. I love all your support and thank you for listening and commenting. Being part of this discussion is a main reason why I enjoy hosting and producing this podcast so much. Have you seen any difference between what female fans and male fans want to see in social media. And one of the reasons I ask about that is there's always this discussion about how female fans like stories about the athletes that they follow, whereas men are interested in data. Uh, interesting. I don't, I don't know. I think I would be surprised if men also don't like stories and insights about 
they're male athletes. I know when I've been at like major events and the men around me who are like having a fan moment with any of their idols, it's always about like, tell me interesting things. So I don't, I don't know if I, if I agree with that one. Yeah, I don't think I do either, but I keep hearing it. So <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I know is in fact true is that women spend a high percentage of the total household spending. And so I was just curious, how are your sponsors embracing how much money women spend as a percentage of household spending? Exactly. I think it's a huge point where, you know, it goes back to that point, which is you're focused on the female demographic, even when you're back selling. Like, I mean, I love working with male focused brands for that reason, where it's like you want to you want to drive brand awareness with your male customers but you also want to impact the female customers. Like sports is a great way to do both, right? And so we love like athlete couple, you know, things like that. But it goes back to what I was saying, where if your marketing people are focused on the female demographic and they don't believe that athletes work for the female demographic, that's when it causes an issue. And so, you know, we were working recently with Casino or something and they were like, we're focused on 40 plus women. And they were like, sports doesn't appeal to that. But then we went on and said, okay, well, how can we figure out this demographic? Well, actually, if you've got a Facebook account, you're probably skew a bit older. If you post on Facebook, you definitely do. And then we can look at their demographics. And we found like a, a motor car racer and a few other people. And so it's a bit more niche, but there are potentials there. But obviously it's it's hard because it's so easy for them to just turn to, okay, well, I'm just going to go to, you know, reality TV stars who skew older or whoever it may be. So, I mean, our biggest battle, whenever we bring someone new to the team in terms of our sales department, the first thing we teach them is, okay, is the brand sold on using athletes and sports? Because if not, forget about it. Nothing else matters. The platform, pricing, nothing else matters. Our job is to sell our brands on why athletes. So why athletes? (laughs) Honestly, I would say it's that authenticity piece for me where I don't think you get a lot of athletes who do things just for money, even even if it is decent money, if it's against their brand. And there's a big group of athletes. Like there's a lot of athletes in all sorts of, you know, retired, not retired, college level, gay, straight, married, single, fun, courageous. And I think A, athletes have like, the stories are amazing, right? That's why you get so many amazing documentaries coming out of the sports world. So the stories of any athlete is invariably amazing and they've challenged status quo and they've done something brilliant, women especially. Well, not women especially, I think both genders. And then the second being is the authenticity is there and they're doing it because they they like the product and they like what you stand for. And so I think that comes across. And I do think that there is internally at, at a company being able to say that you sponsor athletes or that you have athletes who promote your products is just, for me, just cooler than any other vertical or any other influencer type. Yeah, I would agree. Do you have a success story that you can tell us about, you know, a brand that was not convinced about athletes, but then was convinced and tried it and just was completely really happy? We had a mattress brand that was quite interesting and they were very, very data-driven and they came in And they were testing out like different sports categories and they found that they trended really well among like UFC and martial arts athletes uh, when they looked at the data. 
And there's two bits of ROI, right? Like one is return and one is investment. So the less you pay, the less you need a return and, and that kind of vice versa. And so a lot of these martial arts athletes or UFC fighters are, are quite inexpensive and they produce really engaging content, um, have really loyal following. And a lot of them were saying to this mattress company that, you know, we fight so much, we train so much with our fighting that we are tired. Like we sleep, <laughs> we need good sleep and whatever else. And so I thought like that was really interesting that they came in and they were so surprised by like a sport that they never thought that they would partner with. Hmm. That is cool. That's very cool. And especially since, as I said, you have so many sports on your platform. It's awesome. Yeah. You mentioned the college situation in the NIL. Where are we with that now? And what are you seeing in trends maybe? Where are we with it right now? I'd say it's definitely full-fledged out there. There's a lot of athletes who want sponsorship. There are a lot of brands who want to do it, some more so than the others. I think there's still a lot of confusion about what you can do and what you can't do and how does it work. And we sit firmly in that too. We do a lot in the college space, but not nearly as much as we do in the pro space, I'd say. I like college. I think for a local level, it's brilliant because you often have colleges in places where you definitely don't have a pro team. It's fairly inexpensive, which is great. I think it's it's the right thing to do, supporting college athletes. Often for many of them, that might be the peak of their career. So why not reward them when they're kind of working hard? So I like it. I just think it's still a little bit wild, wild west um, <laughs> and very confusing. You know, and give you an example, like some schools allow you to do CBD and some don't. At some schools you have to go to get approval from the compliance team first. Some schools you just submit it afterwards. And so it's quite hard to play in this space when there is so much confusion. But we're doing a good job with it, which is great. You mentioned local sponsors. Are you talking about like, you know, somebody who owns a restaurant, that kind of local? Yeah, I mean, it can be as local as that. We've spoken to restaurant owners, like basically anywhere that the athlete goes mm. um, doing local events. We're working with Kroger at the moment on their local strategy for this. So local can be local multinational or local local. Um, and then you know, you've got like local services as well. I mean, we've done this very successfully with more like NFL and NBA players, like where it's like um, lawn mowing services where they, you know, they really need to focus. And I always kind of joke about this, that if you're thinking about an influencer local strategy, anyone else who's really famous typically moves to LA, New York, San Francisco. If you are really famous and you live in Pittsburgh, no offense to Pittsburgh, um, <laughs> You're probably there, you know, the most famous person is probably a Steelers player, right? right? And so it always makes sense. And and the drop-off in price between, you know, quarterback to even to like running back is huge. And then running back to like defensive linesman is huge. And so it very quickly becomes very affordable to use these athletes. And that's what, that, that lack of transparency has been around for too long in the industry where, you know, Everyone thinks that it would cost you hundreds of thousands, where it, it could be single digit thousands to work with a local NFL player. And what kind of sponsorship are college female athletes getting? I'd say a lot of it is still like, we do have like stuff with the appearances and stuff, but what we do mostly and at scale is social. So, you know, Vitamin Shop just ran a campaign with us where it was like, they're looking to gift vitamins, like, a, you know, $100 worth of supplements, vitamins out to whichever athletes kind of are interested in exchange for some content and the testimonial. So that's our typical deal when it comes to our more micro level athletes. So product 
in exchange for social testimonial content rights. Is there any money ever mm. in that sort yeah, of in that sure. smaller scale? And what kind of money is it for yeah. you know, like a small campaign? I would say anywhere between like 150 to maybe a grand. For what time period? Um, that would probably be like a one-off. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So not bad. And the beauty is that you can you can decide yourself. So, sure. you know, if you think this is not worth my time, great. You don't need to do it. And if you're like, I would love to get $150 for doing this because I also love the product. Great. So I, again, like that's what I really like about a marketplace and like the way we've made it is like, there's very little obligation. You know, we have a mobile app, log in once every other few days, apply to the campaigns you want, put your pitch down as to why they should pick you and like enjoy the fruits of it. That's awesome. Have you seen, let's stick with the college athletes. Have you seen female college athletes being impacted by this new income stream or do you expect them to be impacted in a great way? It's a good question. I think at the top end, of course, but there's very few of those, right? Where, you know, the big articles, I can't remember, was it like sisters or twins that got the first NIL deal? I think there's a few people who are going to make really good money from it, like, you know, salary-esque kind of money from it. And they'll probably go on to become influencers and then, you know, like in their own right. I think for the bulk of athletes, it will be a nice tidying over. Right. Um, you know, annually, say you do two deals, maybe like three or four deals a month. Five, I think you'll you'll end up making, I don't know, maybe you could make decent amounts of money from it. I don't think it'll be game changing, but it'll, it'll, it'll tide you over nicely. Right, right. Again, since we're talking about the college athletes and we're talking about social, I'm wondering about sort of this generational difference between older athletes and younger athletes and what you're seeing. And, you know, is this only going to work for younger athletes because they're the ones that are going to be sort of more social media savvy? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you do hear that a lot from like older athletes that are like, you know, I don't want to post on social or like, I'm too old to build a following right now. Um, I don't want to be judged by this, which I completely get. So I think it is easier for the younger generation who are already on social and like, you know, TikTok and then they adopt TikTok and it's really easy, right? Because they're naturally more inclined to make videos and viral videos and things like that. I don't know as much if it's older or younger or whether it's also personality type as well. Mm -hmm, right. So I know that, you know, there was this Olympian that, we knew who signed up to open sponsorship very early and she was like, I just, I love doing talking like uh, motivational talks and corporate talks. And why don't you have more of those? And it's like, well, we just don't do them as much, right? Most of the people come to us as digital marketing kind of assets. So I think there's also like a personality type that wants to do more talking versus like social and just doesn't find that as interesting. So I think it is a shame. Maybe that social is becoming so powerful, but as I said before, it's because it kind of, it hits two purposes. One is you get the content, but the second is you then have the distribution channel of the athlete. Whereas, you know, back in the day, if I sponsor an athlete and I do a photo shoot with them, that costs me like thousands of dollars. Now I have to go buy TV ads or billboard or radio to distribute. And now I can just 
hey, sponsor you and you put it out on your channel and great, I've now got, you know, my distribution channel out there as well. So I don't think it's only because social is like the be all and end all. I just think it it's a good, easy distribution channel for brands. But are brands getting, you know, the quality of photography, for example, that they would if they were hiring real photographers? Yeah, great question. So no, that's a service that we actually recently added, which is like organizing photographers if, ah. if the campaign budget is high enough. So no, but that is again, like that's almost like when we went back to what can athletes do? That's a huge part. And actually, I would say that is a big reason why, even though our male to female split of athletes is like 70% male, 30% female, our deal split is probably more like 50-50. Hmm. And that is because female athletes are just better at capturing content and not everyone like I'm I'm pretty rubbish to be honest I myself <laughs> so let's not stereotype but like a lot of a lot of females are better at like filters and like lighting and they put a bit more effort into it and so or maybe they get their friends to help out a bit more I don't know but I think those kind of things really help because you're right when a brand and we do have this quite a bit unfortunately when a brand gets a piece of content back and it's just rubbish it, it like it's really tough for us it's tough for us it's tough for the athlete who needs to reshoot it's tough for the brand that's super disappointed yeah yeah what would you like to see in the future and i mean that you can answer anyway but you know like for your business but also since this is a female sports podcast you know for female athletes for this female sports space like anyway um what would i like to say okay one i would obviously love to see more brands even more so investing in their female athlete strategy consciously and you know really putting a big effort behind it at the moment it's a little bit like yeah cool we'll do females and males or whatever else or but i'd love to see more of that second is we have disrupted a bit from the outside where a lot of our athletes are signed up by agents and we haven't necessarily tried to go athlete direct and then even when we pitched a lot of the leagues there's sometimes a bit of an arrogance as to like well you know we don't need a platform to help and i think every female athlete would nearly every female athlete would say hey we need we want more sponsorship dollars i would love to see more leagues and governing bodies working with platforms like ourselves who, you know, we, we've literally given millions of dollars worth of sponsorship to female athletes. And it would be nice if if the governing bodies or the leagues or whoever the teams were working more closely with us to support us and vice versa for to make it easier for athletes to hear about us and, and for us to kind of have a united front to bring more sponsorship dollars to female athletes. Oh, that's super interesting. So what what is the resistance usually? I think there's, you know, back in the day, definitely there was like this, like, well, there's only so much money. And if it goes to the athlete, it's not going to me as the team or me as the <laughs> the body. There's also the kind of idea that like, well, if I recommend you and then it doesn't go well, does it fall back on me? Which I know is a big problem, but I think you have to like weigh up the, the, the cost benefit analysis. You know, I, I did an IG live recently with an athlete and it was a skateboarder, a surfer skateboarder. And actually his his girlfriend is in the winter olympics was in the winter olympics just passed and he was like literally i get sponsorship dollars from a deal on open sponsorship and i have money to pay for my next tournament hmm. yeah and so when you start thinking like that you're like okay so i get the downside for you is that maybe a deal goes wrong and the athlete calls you up and it's like you recommended this website to me 
But the plus side is that they can spend more time training versus getting a second job, or they can enter more competitions or stay in a better hotel or fly non-direct because they have a bit more cash. That is so interesting you said that because, you know, I think some people who hear that women want to make more money, female athletes want to make more money, think they just want to make more money, but it's exactly what you're talking about. It enables them to do what they do so much better, so much more easily and with less stress. Yeah. What do you do when you're not focusing on open sponsorship? <laughs> um, trying to not focus on open sponsorship. I, true to my brand, I suppose I work out quite a lot. I think it's like the best way to not look at my phone. I've been running open sponsorship now for I think, six years. And so I'm quite good at like switching off at the weekends. I think it's really important to come back feeling a bit fresh on a Monday. But of course, like, I dream about work. I shower thinking about work. Like, <laughs> that's a bit inevitable. But yeah, no, I'm lucky that I really like our mission, so I don't mind thinking a lot about it. What kind of physical activity are you doing? What kind of working out? Yeah, I used to play a lot of sports. That, I mean, that's how I kind of got into the sports world is because I was a big student athlete myself. But now I'm probably a big, I love everything, actually. I love anything cardio, which is not great for my flexibility or my yoga, but, you know, running, biking, rowing, kind of you, you name it. If it makes me sweat a bit, I'm there. <laughs> and one final question, and we sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, but why are sports important? Well, I would say on multiple levels. So one, I think there's the playing side and then the viewing side. And both are so important, which I think is why sports is amazing. So on the viewing side, I genuinely don't know anything else that is so unifying like sports. And when we say viewing, you know, that could be your local high school game that brings all parents together of different walks of life. Or it could be obviously something like a World Cup or a Super Bowl you know, brings nations together or like the Olympics is a great example. And so I think there's something that like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter your age, your socioeconomic background, your gender, your, your disabilities are not, not disabled. Like everyone can enjoy sport the same way. And I, I absolutely love that about sport. And then on the playing side, which is where I came from, where the passion for me came from is, um, it's kind of similar, but you know, I kind of always joke that I, I was like a fairly geeky, young kind of Indian girl. I'd like long hair, never cut my hair because of my religion. But when I went out on that, like for me, netball court, nothing else mattered apart from my ability. And your teammates respect you based on ability. You win based on ability. And I just absolutely love that. And so I think that's like so special that again, like there's not, you, you could say music or whatever else. Obviously there are other art forms, but sports has the ability to um, just conquer so much. And sponsorship is such a big part of funding for sports that, I mean, that's why I'm so passionate about trying to fix it. Well, thank you. That was awesome. The whole conversation was awesome. And I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Elizabeth. And that's a wrap for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for following along. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate all the time that you spend with me and with my guest each week. If you aren't a newsletter subscriber, do check it out. Between episodes, I write a bit about issues in sports and how to watch women's sports or follow along in other ways. Sign up at hearhersports.com. And until next time, 
拜拜。Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life, because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.